that's all I can say is I kept hearing, you need to go to register four. And when they announced the register, they said, um, register three, no four. So I walked to that register and the woman, I saw the wisp too, and she was crying and her eyes like were so full. And I'm thinking she's the cashier. And she kept saying she was sorry. I said, no, 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 it's fine. And, and I could see her son, but she just kept apologizing. I said, no, no, no. She goes, well, my, I said, he's right here. It's fine. And she just started to cry. And it was really her son. Her son had just passed away. You're saying. Her son had died of a drug overdose. And, and I, I had heard in line, not that the son died of a drug overdose. I had heard that I'm going to go to a woman. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, (laughs) open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a sciencey skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi guys, I am talking to Deborah Friedman today. She is a friend and a medium, and she can introduce herself much better than I can. Hello everybody. Hi Liz. Um, It's Deb Freeman here, and I'm from Connecticut, Glastonbury, Connecticut, and Let's see, how will I introduce myself? I am an evidential psychic medium and which has, the doors have opened up the older I've gotten and through life's experiences. So I'm so glad to be with you tonight, Liz. So glad to have you. So let's dive in with some questions. Perfect. First of all, I'm so curious. Tell me, how did you know you were a medium in the first place? When was your first experience with it? I've always had, I didn't understand and I never knew the word medium 
until I was probably, honestly, in in my 30s, I heard the word medium. But I always, so knowing, they're two separate things for me. Being able, from, from my understanding that I was never alone, to understanding um, as I went through life and experiences and happiness and trauma and the ebb and flow of life, I'll say it. Intuition was always there. Um, Psychic ability was always there. I always knew I wasn't alone since probably the age of four. I knew that there was a presence beside me. I'm going to ask you more about that because I don't really know what that means to know you were never alone. Oh, okay. So how I knew I was never alone when I was little in my earliest recollection, I, and it wouldn't be someone um, like an imaginary friend I would play with. I always had a presence and how I understood it then was a security of warmth of, of a presence of a being beside me and how I can explain how it felt was when you were little and if you'd go up to your grandmother and you just know that warm feeling beside her or she would give you that gentle hug and that truthfulness and I just knew I was never alone. Like you'd feel that sort of energy around you the way you feel when you're correct. And I wasn't brought, I wasn't brought up in a religious spiritual. I wasn't brought up. We were loved to our parents the best ability, but it wasn't in a nurturing, caring, loving, supportive environment. It wasn't um, a coping environment either at that age because we were little and we just didn't know any better. Um, but I always had a sense of not being frightened, knowing some presence was with me. And did you ever know who, who this presence was? Did you find out, was it like a grandparent or someone or? Nope, nope, I didn't know. And um, that goes into the experiences. So to, um, so to understand my journey towards understanding that I am a medium and what I can how I can be present for spirit and here is it developed throughout my life and it just was a door that kept opening and opening. So, so I identified it the first time I really identified it more than just a presence was, I was about eight or nine years old. I think it was closer to nine and I had almost, well, I had a near death experience. I almost, I should have drowned and I didn't. And I felt that same warmth presence helped me then. And by moving me, I was completely caught underwater under a dock without anyone realizing I was under there. So that was the first time. And I identified it. I think I thought of it as a protection as a male. What do you mean it moved you? Like you felt it physically move you as if like a human hand grabbed you or something was no, I wasn't grabbed. I, I grew up in Burlington, Connecticut, and there was a town recreation center and um, it wasn't uncommon. Like we grew up and I would take my horses and pony at the time and just ride for hours and hours. We'd ride our bikes. We weren't tended to the way my husband and I supervised our children. It definitely was a different time. It was the seventies, um, almost the seventies. I was born in 64. So I was about I'm pretty sure I was nine. And the reason why I say pretty sure is because when it happened, um, 
I was swimming. I went to swim lessons. So you drive your bike a couple miles down the road. You go to the wreck, which was a pond. They had a big flotation raft, which was made of like thick styrofoam. And they framed it out. And then they put like that astroturf over it. So it was like green. And they anchored it with cinder blocks on a long chain. And it would shift. You know, it would move. But it pretty much was always in when you went on. They had like a sand area. But it would be across the pond, man-made pond to the right. It pretty much stayed there. And it was very deep out there. And so I had gone for swim lessons that morning. And I went swimming afterwards. They had open swim. And so you paid, I don't know, 75 cents or so. And I was there by myself, which wasn't unusual. And so I went on the dock. I jumped off swimming. I got back up. I went on. I jumped again. And then I realized I went down very deep. And it was dark because it was a man-made pond and a mud bottom. I realized the dock was above me and there was no air. And I remember thinking, okay, this isn't good. But I wasn't frightened. And I didn't have burning. I didn't have um, choking. I didn't have panic. I knew it wasn't a great situation. I was like, oh. But the next thing I remember, I was being moved by it. And the, the pond was cold. I had warmth around me. And I was shifted because there was no way. And the only thing I saw underneath there was a yellowish color. Like, I can't even say it was a light or a bright light but it was a yellow color. I truthfully don't know if it was the, cause I couldn't tell the corner, but I don't know if it was cause it was sunny that day. I don't know if it was like a reflection or what it was. And I was moved. The next thing I knew I was in the water next to the side of the dock. So my head was next to the side of the dock and I reached up and I held onto the dock and I thought I heard everybody laughing and playing. And I heard like the lifeguards and, and I was like, why is anybody helping me? And I waited a, like a minute or two. I swam because it was deep over. I was tired. And I don't even know how long it took. And I just sat there for a little bit, dried off and rode my bike home. Now I know what it was. I didn't understand what it was, but I wasn't afraid. And I knew I, I knew that every, not to say everything would be okay, but I just knew I wasn't alone. That's the only way I can explain that first near-death experience. And was it a typical near-death experience? It wasn't in the sense you didn't leave your body and see what was happening. You just knew it was like steps before that and you felt protected. Yes, I should have, looking at it as an adult, I should have drowned. There was no way I should have ever come up from underneath there. So, um, no, I, I've astral projected before I did that, when I was giving birth to the twins, I raised above myself and saw myself. Um, I saw the top of my husband's head. I saw him lifting me up from behind. I gave birth naturally. And um, I was in an operating room, but I gave natural birth. And with, then the other time I've, this is before I knew, you gotta remember this is, that was in my early thirties is that what I was, must've been, I think I was twenty. 27 or 28. And I had had a ganglion cyst on my uh, right wrist and they had put me to sleep to, to do my wrist. And, you know, they strap you down. And I remember seeing them shaving my left wrist and I was above quickly. It wasn't like I was lingering, you know, sometimes people, Oh, 
say how they were above watching the whole thing and went here and there. It wasn't like that. I went up above and I saw them shaving my left wrist and I yelled out right wrist. And then I remember um, seeing them put something over my face, which I assume was to put me to sleep more. Um, and that was all I remember seeing of that. And then when I woke up, they had said, they, the nurse said to me and the doctor me like, boy, did you have a dream? And I said, I didn't have a dream. You were shaving like the wrong arm. <laughs> so, so they're like, oh, you remember that, huh? I said, yeah, I saw you. And they just looked at me and I didn't realize what I had said. That was another time. Because you were under anesthesia when you saw them. I was under anesthesia. Yeah. Yeah, but I must have I must have yelled out for them to ask me if I had a dream and my left wrist was shaved. When I yelled out right wrist, it was because I was watching them shave my left wrist. Right. They they started shaving the wrong wrist, which is yep. the left. Yep. And both were shaved. See, so got evidence and they backed it up. And you were under full anesthesia. I was out. I was supposed to be out. And um yeah, so that one, my other near death experience Wait, you've had three? Well, I guess that last one wasn't a near-death. That was an OBE, an out-of-body experience. No, that's not a near-death, and neither is the, the birthing. Yep, for the with the birth. But um, yeah, no, with the other one was, this one, this one was scary. I was on my sister's horse that's 17 hands, and we used to board it down um, at a farm. What's 17 hands mean? That's how big the horse is? That's how high the back is. That's very high. Like a pony is, I think, 11, 10 to like 13 hands, maybe 12, 13 hands. And then when you get above that, that's the height of the, the base of the back of a horse. So a 17 hand horse is really big. So anyhow, he was trying to drop the bit and he was backing up and it, I was out in the pasture. I was near the barn and there was ledge there and the owner was trying to discipline the horse, which he shouldn't have. And he came up behind and he smacked him in the back where their kidneys are, you know, on their hind. And the horse reared up, fell over backwards. I was riding um, Western, fell over backwards on top of me and was just picture a horse on its back and twisting to get up with the legs all in the air. Poor horse. What a horrible horse owner, too. Yeah, he wasn't the owner. He was just a barn owner. He was horrible. Yeah, it was awful to do. And the horse was a rescue that was abused by men. The guy was just not a nice person. So up and over the horse went on top of me. I landed on ledge. I didn't have a mark on me except the bruise from the pancreas, from uh, bruised pancreas from the saddle horn. But I felt the same warmth around me, beneath my back, behind my head, cradled my head, because it was pretty violent when the horse reared up and then fell over on top of me. You know, I didn't fall off. I was, I was, I remember um, leaning forward and hanging on to his mane and the reins and the horn and the horse coming toppling because I was hoping, you know, it would fall forward again and land on its four feet, but it went up and over on top of me. And so I, beneath me was ledge, was all rock. I didn't have a scratch on me. I felt the same warmth feeling that I felt in the water around me. But at that time, I was frightened. I was crying after that one. You know, I wasn't, I was more like unaware with the first one. With this one, it was frightening. It was um, in slower motion. But what protected me was that same presence. I should have been dead in both times. Landing on rocks with a horse that weighed, oh Lord, I don't even know how much the horse weighed. You kind of sensed this presence was around you. And then you also 
then moved on to become a psychic medium. When did you start noticing you were getting information about other people? Okay. I always had, it's kind of like, it'll sound like we're jumping a little bit, but I'll try to streamline it. Um, So that was, I started to get, uh, I started to get psychic information and not understanding where it's coming from. I understand now that I have spirit guides. I, I believe they're angels. I believe my loved ones um, I also believe that we're here and other planes and I identify eternal life as heaven with God. And we're one of, of one, everybody, you know, respectfully, everybody is here to have their own journey, their own path, their own understanding. And I'm not here to preach one or tell somebody something except for what I identify for myself, which is for me. I, I respect everybody's experience and their journey. So that's so when I reference of source of God of one, I that's for me personally. Um, so I would always know things. I would always know how things would turn out. I always knew how not to be in a situation. I knew when something was positive. I could tell when someone was truthful. I could. The intuition has always been so on point. I then psychically would know who was going to. You know how they say who's going to call, who's going to do this, who that. I would know the outcome of some things. I, um, that as I immersed further with the child care center, I had 120 students there. I had 25 staff. So you owned just so everyone knows. Yeah. A NIAC accredited child care center. So, so I'm with a lot of people there. I was always open to when I was younger, I saw spirit and I didn't understand why it sounds, it sounds disrespectful to what I did, but I was a child. I was driving my bike everywhere. I'd go from Burlington to Canton to Unionville to Collinsville. I would ride my bike or my horses down to the river in Harrington. I'd go pretty far. So I I snuck into the funeral home. It was, I believe it was a Hearns funeral home in Unionville. And there was a neighbor that had passed away and I didn't know them, but they were having a wake and I was riding my bike. And I remembered another neighbor mentioning it and I wanted to go in there and I didn't know why I wanted to go in there. But I wanted to go in there and I kind of quietly just went in. It was like an older funeral homes then used to be like an older, looked like an older extended home. And so I went in and I was curious. I had no business being there. And I remember thinking, well, he's not dead. Why does everybody think he's dead? Like I knew we didn't die. That was another thing. As I got older in my 20s and my 30s, people that I loved, like when my grandmother passed, I knew she was still alive. And I was more upset that it was winter and she, you know, her body could be cold in the ground. And I remember holding that thought since I was about 10 years old, when they would bury people, I would think, why are they putting them there? They're not dead, but not associating that the body's the shell. I was just thinking they're not gone. So when I went into the funeral home that time, I was there and I didn't see like a full presence of a shape of a body. I just saw a shifting of an outline and I knew that he was right there still eternally living. And I didn't have the vocabulary for it then. Um, so as I went to my twenties and I had kids and everything that I would, and now I understand intent and looking back, it's different. I knew if I, if I put my best foot forward and I was pretty much always a caring, honest person that wanted the better for another, nurturing and protective of others always since I was little, that things would turn out okay. And if they weren't, 
I would kind of have an inkling of how it would turn out. So I was in my, let me think, I was, I was at the court when I worked there. So I was probably in my twenties, late twenties, early thirties. And I had to have a lot of dental work done. Probably my 20, I'd say I was 28 or 29. And this is pretty strong. So I don't predict, I don't know, but I, I, uh, in now later I've, for people that I've been with and somebody else and they presented, I now know times have presented when I've known they're going to cross. Um, so I was getting all this work done and I was nervous about it. And I looked at my husband and I had this, I had three little kids at the time and I was scared to have all this oral surgery and a whole bunch of stuff done. And I looked at him and I said, what if the dentist dies? He goes, why would you say that? I said, I don't know why I just heard it, said it. I don't remember how it came out. And Dan goes, Deb. And I said, I don't know. Okay, this isn't, and I'm not saying that I predict anything. And I'm not at all. That afternoon, the dentist fell in a pole auger and died. How would I know that on a Sunday? And it just came to you out of nowhere. Nowhere. And you didn't normally get anxieties about people dying like that. That wasn't like a regular thing. No, I wasn't anxious. It's terrible to say, but I wasn't anxious about him dying. My first thought was like what I said, it just blurted out of my mouth. Like I heard it. He's going to die. He's dying. I don't remember the exact keys or he's going to. And then I just like, I looked at Dan and I just said it. And he said, what did you say that for? I said, I just heard it. I, I don't know why I said it. And he goes, you're just nervous. Don't say that. And I said, okay. And then that morning, the following morning, Monday morning, I get a call at like 7 a.m. We didn't have, you know, cell phones then. And you get a call that the dentist office is closed. You'll have to reschedule your surgery. There's been an emergency. He, the gentleman passed away that afternoon when I, as I said that, I don't know when correlation to what time, but other things. And then going forward, how much further do you want me to keep going? Like with the knowing, those are just strong, really pretty. No, I mean, shocking I think the evidence, me. yeah. If there, if you have another, I think people never get bored of hearing the evidence. At least I don't. So <laughs> at the I time, hope my audience agrees or they can just, <laughs> I guess, won't listen to the podcast if they don't like hearing it. Yeah, no, 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 no. But that's okay. Like I would just know how, um, if an emergency happened, how it would turn out. I would know, oh, I don't, okay, so that that one sticks out pretty much. And then when I went into go, okay, now we'll go, we'll go forward. I'll give you another knowing. My, okay, we had, when we originally opened the business, we had two couples, my husband and, my, and myself and Andy and Angie. We owned the childcare center together. We opened it together. Our kids were raised together. They have four boys. They have a set of twins. We have six kids. We have a set of twins. Um, we eventually, we, we went on vacations together. We spent a lot of time together. We eventually bought them out. Um, but we would see each other years later, like, you know, for weddings or showers or birthdays and stuff like that. But we weren't close. Um, Angie had developed breast cancer and it was pretty bad. And she had, um, she had it from five years before Dan, seven years before she had it five years before Dan passed. So Dan passed in 2015. So she had it approximately 2010. My husband, Dan passed in 2015. She had, um, she had breast cancer before that. So I'd say like 2010. So we had, so it'd been a couple of years. So she had 
done really well. And, you know, she was a survival rate of five years and they thought it was behind her. My husband suddenly passed away. Then um, that summer I went to, um, I was at an, an inspirational like little shop and she just came to me out of the blue. This is how it happens. It just comes to you. Like when you say comes to you, you mean it popped into your head. She didn't physically like come over to you. Yep. It just, it just, it, no, doesn't physically come to me, but see, I had already been hearing and seeing since Dan had passed away and before that. So hmm, I'll put Dan's passing aside for a second. So with just to make it easier with the knowing with the psychic with, so with Angie, I, I thought of her and I thought, I got, I saw her post something on like, well, I'm going to get, she was going to get like a mammogram or something. And then she posted something else and something else like a couple of weeks before. And it was about two weeks afterwards that I hadn't seen her um, since Dan's and I had had surgery in June after he passed. So I probably, it was in the summer. So it was probably July because she crossed in July. So it was probably June. And I had, um, I was just thought of her for out of the blue. And I thought, let me get her something. Like, I want to let her know that I appreciate, you know, she had really reached out after Dan passed away and I hope she was doing well, but I was just an inkling. And I said, okay, I'm in an inspirational shop. Let me buy her something. And I truthfully forgot her address with the trauma and shock of Dan passing a lot. You know, I was having a difficult time then, but so I texted her sister. I said, you know what? I got Angie this, um, something I want to mail it to her. I know the street. I know the town. I forgot the zip code and the, and the thing. And I said, I just really wanted to send her something today. I don't know why. And her sister texted me back and said, well, she's actually in the hospital, Deb. And I said, I'm in Manchester. What hospital? And I said, can I go see her? She goes, let me check. She reached out to her. She said, sure. And I had this knowing that I had to get her something and I had to be present and I had to be present. She didn't survive two more weeks. And the morning she crossed, Dan comes through as um, all the time as hearts, but she, um, she came, I, I knew that they were going to be disconnecting her. Andy had called and he had said something and he, and we were crying on the phone and I said, I was so sorry. And, you know, like he hung up cause he was going, you know, to say goodbye to his wife. And the week earlier I was in the hospital and her family's from New York and I was sitting there and I was, I couldn't bring myself to go in the room and it was the same feeling when Dan had suddenly passed. I couldn't bring myself to step back into the room. And so I, when I had seen her in the bed laying there, I saw something above her. So I did see something then it, it was, it felt like um, just a light lifting, like a wispy. I saw a wispy and it was similar to what I saw at the funeral home when I was younger. It was similar to after Dan passed, when I went to TJ Maxx and I knew I had to go to, you know, they call you to the register, whatever number it is. And I knew I had to go to register number four, even though I was around, you know, they have all that stuff. So you can pick up all the extras and the soda thing. And I knew I just had to go to at TJ Maxx, you know, the, the store where they, they kind of, you know, how they, they bring you down that last aisle of please spend more money. And so I hadn't gotten around the corner to see what registers are open. And I knew I would go to this register and they called one number when I was there and said, no, no, the other one. And I knew I was going to go to that number. And I went and I, this woman was standing there and I knew I had to go. I knew I was going to meet someone. That's all I can say is I kept hearing you need to go to register for. And when they announced the register, they said, 
um, register three, no four. It was strange. And you know how it's like an automatic, I assume that they just push a button when the next register is ready. So I walked to that register and the woman, I saw the wisp too, and she was crying and her eyes like were so full. And I'm thinking she's the cashier. And she kept saying she was sorry. I said, no, 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 it's fine. And, and I could see her son, but I didn't know at the time I hadn't, I guess, understood what I should say and what I shouldn't say to people and how and when it should be released. You need permission. There's ethics and all of that as a medium, but she just kept apologizing. I said, no, no, no. She goes, well, my, I said, he's right here. It's fine. And she just started to cry and it was really her son. Her son had just passed away. You're saying her son had died of a drug overdose. And, and I, I had heard in line, not that the son died of a drug overdose. I had heard that I'm going to go to a woman. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I didn't understand why I was hearing that. And you have to understand this is shortly. Right. And you saw that wispy sort of. I saw that wisp and I also saw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I saw him like nod. It's it's, but it's not a man standing behind her. So that same wispy. And now I identify as spirit. And if I, and I can see spirit, but so above Angie, I saw that, but you got to remember now this is trauma. My husband just died. I spent raising our kids together, caring for a hundred kids with her, you know, it was very intricate. Um, and I'm placed where I'm supposed to be placed. And that's the biggest blessing is I realized that, that there is no coincidence. Synchronicity is and being where you're supposed to be and crossing paths. And um, it's all, it's purposeful, it's predetermined and predestined. And you might not understand it as you go through life. So when I saw Angie and I saw the lifting up, I couldn't go in the room. And when he had called me that morning, you know, the, the next morning, um, I had, I was sitting in the living room here and I looked out my my door and I'm in a new, not a new house, an old house. Our, our whole situation changed financially before Deanne had passed. And so anyways, I'm looking out the door and there's a Robin feeding twin baby birds right in front of my door, which they shouldn't have been on the lawn that little. And, and so I, cause I was crying because we have twins. I associated as Angie has twins. I have twins. It was a comforting thing. And then the no T there wasn't a TV on and I have a picture window behind me and I was crying because Andy had just, you know, I'd hung up with him and I saw a shape of an outline of half a heart. And then I had seen, and Angie comes through to me as an angel wing. I saw an angel wing and a heart cross over. I thought I was, you know, I'm, I'm holding my head and I'm looking and I'm crying. And I was, I knew I looked at the clock. I got the time. I don't know why I got the time. They called me later and said, can you please go? And they live in Enfield. Can you please go out, the older son? And I said, sure, because they had twin boys that were a year older than my youngest. And I went, I went out there and I remember standing on the front porch and I was just trying to be present, like something of a consistent, but their family was there. And, and we weren't really close, close, I would say, like in each other's lives, but it her older children, her older boys, I've known since they were infants, but 
and the twins too, but she had already left the childcare center when the twins were born, but I would see them. So, so anyways, I'm standing on the front porch and her sister just shook her head and she goes, I cannot believe, I think it was like at 947. I forget the number. She goes, I can't believe at 947, I almost passed out. I had to hold on to the side of the house. That's the time I saw as they, as they presented. Had I understand at the time what it meant, she would always call my husband Sparky and it's not polite. And I know, but they would joke back and forth because he blew up the grass gas grill and blew his eyebrows off. And, and she would always try to feed him Polish food. And she, you know, he'd call her Polak joking and she'd say, yep, you're never going to eat as good as a Polak. So it was, so they had a wonderful relationship and it makes sense complete sense for him to present and show that they were together. Okay. And so it sounds, sounds funky, but I don't mean to be disrespectful and that he would never mean disrespect. They love each other. That was in July. And let me ask you, by the way, sorry, you were shown that and you found out that was the exact time she passed. Correct. Okay. Wow. So now, now I'll just continue with this family. So now January, it was after Christmas. My daughter, Brittany has two little ones and her older one, is a, was a really rambunctious toddler and she had a newborn. She said, Ma, can I please, we went to the Olive Garden in Manchester. She wanted to go to Taste by Spellbound to get some cookies and cupcakes. We were going somewhere. And I said, she goes, Ma, can I just run in the bakery? Can you sit in the car? I said, sure, but I got to call Andy. And she said, can you do it when I get out? Because sometimes the kids would get really noisy. And she goes, can I run in the, I said, yeah, no problem. I said, she goes, why? I said, I want to make sure the twins got, because I had mailed them like little motorcycle Santa Claus shirts for the holiday because the first one without their mom and just want, you know, how you just want to extend a little something. And I, I said, I hadn't heard from him. So I called and I was doing Angie's probate stuff for her. I used to work at the probate court. So I was doing that for the kids. And so I said, I haven't heard from them in a while. And I went and, um, and I, I was in the car and all of a sudden Brittany went into the bakery and I get a message from the older son, it's an emergency, please call me. I stepped out of the car, Andy had just died. You know, it's that knowing that coming forward that, so, and with Angela, Andy, um, Angela passed. Oh, Andy was her husband and he just died as well. Yeah, they passed away within six or seven months of each other. Very sad. Oh my God, okay. But, but so it's that connection when, um, after Angie, actually Dan had gotten Dan, Dan passed December 20th, 2015, the week before Shane and Brooke, my twins were 17. They had, he had gotten them cell phones. And so then, you know, I mean, they're in high school, it's the week before Christmas and they're playing on their cell phones. There's not a, you know, they only had them for like, I don't even think a week before he passed away. So we, after he, after he passed away, we went to, the kids wanted to go, like Shana wanted to go to Virginia beach and to, to go, we wanted to kind of repeat some things. And I know, I mean, it's our way of trying to deal with grief to go somewhere familiar. And so we, he would always take her fishing there. There's a place you can get an out-of-state fishing license down there at some, I don't even know the name of it. And so we were trying to find it, trying to find it. And I said to Shane, I said, honey, why don't you just ask? Because I stopped at 7-Eleven and the guy didn't know. And so I said, just ask your phone. Can't, because they had Siri, I think, back then. And she said, okay. And the phone answers back. Okay, Papaya. What do you think Shana's name, nickname for her father is? Papaya. Papaya. That's amazing. Um, when 
the older son of Andy and Angela, Nick, his little one is a year and a half now. And I'll also be awoken and I'll hear and I'll see. So um, now her name is Angela. The baby's name is Angela. And I was awoken in the middle of the night and they live in Ohio now. And I, well, they did when the baby was born. And so I'm meaning Nick and his, his girlfriend, the baby's mom and the, and the baby to be born. And I remember hearing mom, mom. And I like woke up and it was only Cole and I here. And I'm, I'm like, and Cole is your son, my, my son. And so he was about 14. He was sound asleep. And I heard mom and I woke up and I know better, you know, like, but I, it's, you know, you're kind of waiting and startling for a second. And I listened, I heard mom and I wrote the time down. And at five in the morning, Nick called me and told me that Angie was born. Isn't that amazing? So it was Angela waking me at the same time that her granddaughter, her namesake was born in Ohio. That I, I, it's so beautiful. Um, like when, when they come through like that, clearly my husband does it. I don't, um, I so, uh, I'm just so blessed. And for my, myself, it's very comforting and that leads for others. Um, you know, like if there's so many beautiful, beautiful in the moment, you're a little shocked by it. Um, but it's comforting. I, my daughters, and I believe it's generational. I believe I'm fifth generation. So I didn't understand. It was fifth never generation. What? Like having abilities like this? Yes. Oh yeah. My granddaughter. I Did I show you the one about Dilly when she was talking to her grandfather? Did I send you that video? Maybe, but I think you did, but tell everyone. Okay. All right. So, so for me, I know it's my grandmother. My grandmother comes through with dimes. She always has since before, um, Meaning she, you, when you see dimes, that is her communicating. Dimes. So, so coins. And a lot of people commonly get that. But what's really fun is to associate the year on the coin with the feeling, the intuit, you know, what you're feeling as you find it. And it pretty much correlates. Um, so my grandmother would always send dimes. My mother flatlined, had a heart attack. I, I, I'm not close to my family, meaning it's sad. It's, and it, I'm going to really be totally frank. And a lot of people that have struggles with immediate family and trying to identify, it's okay to understand it wasn't your doing and it's your, it may be pre, I believe everything's predetermined and it's what journey I'm supposed to go through it. You know, humanly, it, it makes it understandable, but it's still hard. So my mother had the heart attack. Nobody called me in the middle of the night. They called in the morning. I was leaving for work. Dan yells to me as I was running down the stairs he said, your mom had a heart attack. She's in Hartford. I said, what hospital? He said, they didn't tell me. I got in the car. I'm driving on 84 and I got that same presence again. Everything's going to be okay. Even though I was petrified, I got that same presence, that calming. I, I Dan calls me. He goes, she's at St. Francis. I go to St. Francis. Now remember the rest of them have been there all night and I run in the room. And I, as I was going into the, the family waiting area, she, the surgeon hadn't come out yet. And all of a sudden, there's my family sitting there. And I run in, I said, where is she? And walking out of the door, out pops my pediatrician for 30 years, husband goes, Mrs. Freeman, your mommy's going to be okay. Come to me, come to me. And he holds me. I'm like, oh, so for me, that is the communication. And remember, I'm not understanding all of it as it's progressing, but that's the understanding, the reassurance, the knowing, the um that that presence that's with me. 
I was petrified in the car and I got the feeling of warmth around me that everything is going to be okay. And then to have Dr. Sacchetti, I mean, Dr. Vandana Sacchetti, uh, she was, she's in South Windsor now, but, but she's been my kid's pediatrician and I own that childcare center to have her husband walk out randomly and save my mother's life and wrap me in his arms is amazing. And that knowing all that's what I mean about I'll know. And that presence is with me. And, and it's been with me my whole life. And as the traumas and the experiences and, and the, the, the blessings and the, and the sorrows in my life and everything going, it's been a consistent. Now you get the shock of your, your, my beloved husband suddenly passing beside me. Okay. That I was, whew, now they stepped up even further. Like they just stepped up as soon as Dan, Dan crossed, um, I stayed at Brittany's house with Shana Brooke and Cole, and she had Dylan, who was six months old at the time. So you stayed right after he passed, you moved in with your adult kids and one of their children. Correct. And her husband was there. It was at Brittany's house at the time. And so there were, um, do you remember the ornaments or did you ever see them where they'd have like the bird, Brittany got all the doves and all the birds, Christmas birds, and they're on like clothespins and you clip them onto the tree. Yeah. Okay. So Brittany at the time before Dan passed, when I was pregnant with Cole, he had an estranged relationship with his parents. I mean, he loved them dearly, but so we went to the wake and we didn't bring any of the kids. She was not very kind. She came through. She came, she came through spot on the first time I met Rebecca, her, my father. Okay. Wait, I think you're going to have to explain this. So who came through and Rebecca, first of all, just so you guys know, is another psychic medium. She's a friend of both mine and Deborah's. And I have also done Instagram live and podcast episode with her. She's amazing. She's her, her Rebecca and low sister. Okay. So now I need the story clarified a little. So who came through? I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm confused. When I was, that's, that's okay. I'll back up when I was pregnant with Cole and I, if I lose track, redirect me here. When I was pregnant with Cole, Dan's mother passed away suddenly. So my husband and, I, and he hadn't spoken with her in a couple of years. It's just very sad. He loved his parents, but it was the same dysfunction. So, and it never changed. So we drive, our children don't come because she wasn't, um, I'll say politely nurturing to them. Okay. And so we chose to keep our children from that. And then, but the twins were seven. And then I had um, you know, then I had Brittany, she was 18. Then I had a 16 year old and a 14 year old. So they stayed home. We drove to the, to the wake. So, and it was far. So we drive to the wake and, um, we took all the check on the kids and Brittany, I don't know if Brittany called us or we called her this time, but she was hysterical. She saw Barbara in the closet. She saw her grandmother who had just passed away. She saw her grandmother in the closet. Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides are solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, 
resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution, no closure. That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep, we're just actively looking for her. These girls were alive. They were living, breathing people. They weren't a picture in the media. There was a, a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body. Who, who was it? What happened? What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, and it's just horrible. A true crime series investigating mysterious unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. As I'm sure you've heard, the Supreme Court in the United States just overturned Roe v. Wade, which protects a woman's right to have an abortion if she chooses. Now it's illegal in some of our states. If anyone is looking to obtain an abortion and you live in a state where it's illegal, you can check the following sites. I suggest using a VPN, virtual private network, which hides your identity on your computer or phone. These are the sites, womenonwaves.org, womenonweb.org, aidaccess.org, plancpills.org, wholewomanshealth.com, abortionfunds.org, and of course, Planned Parenthood. I linked all of them on our Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore, and they're saved in our stories. These are also great places to donate and see if they need any help. She saw her. I said, what was she doing? She, she was standing there. Ma. I got, I caught her for like two seconds and she looked calm and she just stood there, presented herself. And so Britain, Dan turns to me. Now we didn't understand this at the time. He goes, Brittany just saw my mother in the closet. She said, she's hysterical. Go call her. So he goes, I think she's just very upset. You know, like he just, I mean, he lost his mom, put aside that they weren't talking, but he'd still lost his mother. So, so I calmed her down and she was like, just don't stay out late. I said, okay. So that is how, you know, she, she sees. And in this house where I am now, the people that originally built it, their last name was love. Shana, when she, after Angie passed away, she was upstairs and I've got the clips of that too. She, she, there's spirit in this home. There's a male that is shown all the time here, which is pretty reassuring. Um, my husband comes through all the time easily. Uh, my, my son-in-law was getting a little snippy at my daughter when they were vacationing, when they came here. And I heard Brittany, you know, how like married couples will be. Brittany lowers her voice and she says, you know, if my father was here, you wouldn't speak like that. And he goes, Brett. And I'm trying not to get involved in their little early marital, you know, little thing. And he goes, I didn't speak to you poorly. And this man really has hardly ever raised his voice and has never said a cross swear word to her. But Brittany was very, my husband adored his children and she was frustrated. And so he turned 
And he said, well, what would your father do? All of a sudden, all the lights in the TV went out in the room and then they kept, the lights came back on. And Brittany looked at him and he goes, that's not funny. Did you turn the lights off? She goes, no. And I walked around the corner and I just said, you know, you should be kinder to, to, to I was teasing him. I said, you should be kinder to our daughter. And he goes, uh-huh. And the lights flickered and the TV turned back on. That was just like, that one's pretty strong. That was a strong one. I had other ornaments up here. But so when we were at Brittany's house, that night he passed away. We, um, I was, truth, I was out of my mind. But but Britt was in the shower and she saw, she saw half a heart in the shower. And she didn't, you know, she had a six month old baby. And so she's like traced in the wall and, and on the shower, you know, like where the water and the soap as you're washing yourself, she saw a heart come out half a heart. And that night, and Brittany had bought toys for the baby that night, all of us were sleeping in the living room and all the toys went on and she did put batteries in them, you know, beforehand. So when the baby, cause the baby was little, same time from being off the, um, the tree in the morning and Brittany knew I was pretty, pretty upset. And the twins were very, you know, everybody was upset. She's got a husband and a baby and she's trying to hold it together being the oldest of the kids. And she, um, she saw, she saw something she told me that night and she just said, mom, I don't want to talk about it. So, so she didn't tell me when it happened. She told me later, but that morning, all the ornaments were flipped upside down. There was like, I don't know if she had a dozen of them or something. They were all flipped on the tree. And I thought that was I thought, what? I thought they just probably top heavy or whatever, but I didn't put mine to it. And she said, no, mom. And then when Steve fixed them, they stayed until we took the tree down. I said, this was after the fact. I didn't know that this had happened. You know, we were thinking other things. And um, it's just, it's, there's so many. So when Angie passed away, Shana had a different cell phone. And Shana's your daughter. Just, I know there's a lot of names. I want to make sure all our listeners are able to keep track of everyone. And she's your friend who passed from breast cancer and Shana's your daughter. Yep. Yep. Correct. And we were going to her celebration of life they were having for her. And they, um, Shana was upset. She came downstairs. I said, what's the matter? I said, you ready to go? And she said, ma, I just got a friend request from Angie. I said, oh, and she wasn't friends with her and she wanted to play like words with friends or something like that. And my mother who has the only experience she's had with this, she doesn't have this experience, but her friend Marion passed away. And this was about four months ago. She, well, she, she's seen a lot of and experienced a lot um, with myself and, but she's older now, you know, and, and she's, she, hadn't had experience and exposure to this. And she called me and she has one of those old flip phones. She just had to stop doing, it. you know, you used to go and buy the card that you'd download for the 10 cents a day or whatever it costs. And so her friend Miriam passed away four years or five years ago. And she went, they finally buried the woman's ashes in Connecticut. She had lived out of state and there was a big family cadoodle. She went to go um, to the, to the, um, the service in the graveyard, they buried the ashes and she went, you know, they always have like cake or something. They didn't have a big to do. And she went home. Now my mother's 80, going to be 81. She went home and about three days after the fact, 
her phone, she turns her phone off to save the battery. Like she, she said, Debbie, I just got a call from Miriam. It was a voice recording say how she can't wait to get together with me. And she just misses me so much. And she's so grateful. I'm her friend. I said, what? This woman had dementia before she passed away years ago. Isn't that amazing? There is a phenomena people talk about getting telephone calls and I believe texts as well from people who've passed away. There's a parapsychologist, Dr. Cal Cooper, who has written about that and researched it and wrote a book that unfortunately I think is really hard to get because it's currently out of print, Telephone Calls from the Dead, but follow it because I think he's trying to get it circled again, but it's apparently a thing. Oh, definitely. It, it's, I have one more that I'll share that I don't think a friend of mine will mind sharing. friend of mine um, this is, this is amazing. So when people, so remember I said the, I knew, and I understand now that I knew Angie was both as I identify heaven in here. When I saw her, that wispy lifting, I knew she was, she was in both. Um, clearly a friend of mine's young 20 something year old son passed away in a horrible automobile accident. And she, her mother was at the end stages of Alzheimer's. She was in a nursing home. Um, she was not, she was completely like, she was not coherent. And um, I don't think they had her sedated. I don't know, but she was more where she would, she needed to go to her mother. You know, when there's trauma in your life, you need, she physically needed to go to her mother. So she went to her mother and she said, mommy, um, Brennan died. And she was very, very upset. And um, so then they had the wake and she went back to her mom who was completely out of it, you know, uh, unconscious. And she, you know, said, we, um, tomorrow we're going to bury him. And she put the prayer, the mask, you know, they have the cards when you go to the wake, she can pick up, I don't know what you call them. Are they prayer cards or something? So she, what she had done was she had pinned it to her mother's pillow and, you know, she was crying and, and she was so sad and her husband and her went home. And I don't know if her daughter or other son was with her. And so when she had gotten home that night, a couple hours later, the nursing home called and said that her mother had crossed and her mother was clutching the prayer card in her hands that was pinned to her pillow. Isn't that amazing that, you know, I mean, how comforting, how comforting for that mother for to comfort her adult daughter who who lost her child. You know, that is remarkable. Um, a year after Deanne had passed, and that was years ago, we had still owned the child care center then. So we sold in 2012. So that was probably in, I think he passed, I'd say 2009 or 10. Deanne and Carol Ann grew up together, meaning the mother who lost her child and my husband in East Harford. They... Um, we didn't socialize, but she brought her daughter, who was a lot younger from the boys, to the child care center. So now after Deanne had crossed, I'm driving home and stop and go crap traffic. It's about three years ago. And I heard mommy. And I was like, huh? And then I was alone in the car. And, and I was stop and go through Hartford. And I heard mommy. And I love you, mommy. And I, I just, I heard that. And I'm thinking, why am I hearing that? And all of a sudden, the, the license plate in front of me in the car, you know how like when you're driving bumper to bumper, stop and go, stop and go, you don't really see the car, it's not the distance. It said Brennan. 
And she had two boys. And I, this is, I'm embarrassed to say, but I had forgotten the name of the child. And so anyhow, after Dan passed, I had a lot of stress. And so, so I called Britt and she was in Vegas. I said, Brittany, which of the boys' names was the one that passed? I think somebody's talking to me. And she goes, mom, it was Brennan. I said, oh, now I hadn't spoke to her in so many years. And how do you say your son's saying hello? And you don't say that, you know, and I'm wondering why. So I waited, I jotted everything down and I waited. And then I just approached her in a way because she had sent me a sympathy for Dan. And I just said, I really wanted to reach out and I really feel terrible. I haven't reached out, you know, in a proper way to say thank you. And so many people were kind to me when he passed suddenly. And I said, I find a lot of comfort in spirituality. I tried to open the door that way. I did not want to cause her one millisecond of trauma. So she said, no, Debbie, I've tried and I've tried. And I said, oh, and she said his birthday was just on. It was on the day he was coming through to me. I said, well, can we get together for coffee? And I got together for coffee with her and I shared with her. And that was his birthday when he was saying hello to her. Another friend of ours who passed, who I did, she passed two years ago, this March. I, she was so kind to me after Danny passed away, but I connected with her. Like I just connected. And that's what I mean about people placing themselves. And we were meeting and I shared with her what I was hearing and seeing And I kept repeating something to her in a month and a day. And she just looked at me and it was safe. Do you understand how this in the beginning was all safe? How I was getting the validation of understanding and helping safe. What do you, what do you mean? Like not safe, meaning that safe, meaning that I wasn't sharing it outright with people. I wasn't like, it was, it was spirit coming to me, reassuring me that I was hearing clearly, properly. It was, it was okay to process it humanly. Do you know what I mean? In my head, you gotta remember, you got to think you go into stop and shop and I'm standing behind a woman and I hear cup of tea, cup of tea. I didn't understand grounding. I didn't understand boundaries. I didn't, because this door was just like barn gates open big after Dan crossed. And so I would hear and see, and I was just thinking I was truthfully going a little bonkers. And as I went around, like at the, the deli, and I heard this woman, she picked up her cell phone. She goes, no, my grandmother would just love a cup of tea right now. I miss going and having tea with her. And I saw and heard the woman as I walked past her before the phone call. So so I think they know that. Oh, you heard her say that. And then she said it out loud afterward. Out loud into the phone. So I think this. After you heard it. After I heard it. But why would I tell a stranger I'm hearing this? And seeing, you know, and so, so that was, so all of this is making it, I want to say for me, okay. You know, as I'm hearing and I'm, and I'm seeing, and Deanna's just come through so much, but so I meet with this friend, she goes, Deb, let's go out once a month to get you out of the house. Even though I had kids and, you know, busy, uh, she's like, let's just get together. Cause she grew up with Danny. So it was nice. And she was 10 years older, I think 10 years older than me. And it was just nice to have that connection because we don't have family connection. Don't forget when you grieve someone and you don't have, you need to say their name out loud. You need to hear reassurance. You need to, you need to just, I don't want to say live in the presence, but don't carry, don't live in grief, but it's you to validate for your heart humanly to just, 
um, acknowledge them. It's so important for you as, as a person. And so it was just kind of her. So we met for the movies and the first time we met for coffee, I kept hearing a lullaby and I'm like, I'm not going to share this then. And I didn't, she had never shared with me. I only knew she had at the time one child. And I repeated the date, the month, the lullaby. I said, I don't know why I'm hearing that. I said, this is what happens to me. And her eyes welled up with tears. She lost her first child. I even had his name. I never knew that. I Do you understand how spirit also was like saying, oh boy, here's the straw, but let me, let's, let's help it ease her into this. And so these reassurances, um, this is going to be another one of knowing. And I don't know why I knew at the time. Dan's mother, remember I told you she had passed. It was years later, like seven years later. And I'm, I am embarrassed to say this for my husband, but not because he did it at all. Not because of his brothers did it. His sisters did this. So I remember talking about something with Dan and his oldest brother. I won't mention his name. We're not close. And I said something and I said, who has your mother? Because the father's ashes are somewhere and we know where they are. And I said, who has your mother? And so-and-so said the sister did because she took care of everything and the woman lived with her and stuff. And I said, oh, and I don't know why. Why would I say who has your mother, right? Barbara was left on the, in the funeral home for eight years. The older brother had to go pay, pay the rest of the thing to get her ashes back. I didn't at the time understand where, who was telling me where's Barbara. It's really... It's amazing. So with understand, so that's how the understanding came about. Then I was hearing, seeing, knowing, and then a, a grandmother from the child care center had said, um, she had reached out to me because I had a lot of clients, don't forget, you know, at, with the child care center in many years. And she reached out to me and I just said, thank you to her. And I don't know why I just unloaded everything on her. It was shortly after Dan crossed. And, and she said to me, okay, I said, I think I'm going on my mind. She goes, I'm going to send you somewhere. She sent me to a wonderful woman, Deb Eldridge out of Ellington, Connecticut, to go to a weekend course. Because I knew I could always hear, see things, know things, you know, but I didn't put it all together, but it was just bombarding me from everywhere. So I went to this course and it just made sense. Like psychometry, the woman's like, bring something back tomorrow. I did two of the three envelopes at my table. I knew. I don't think anyone here knows what psychometry is. That's when you take an an object tell me if i'm wrong deborah but you take you hold an object like you might find like a second hand necklace or someone if you're a psychic medium doing a reading someone would bring in like their grandmother's necklace and not tell you what that is and you'd hold it and get information from touching the object oh yeah like the first one of the one of the examples was someone had put a key in in the envelope so you know it's easy to feel a key if you're holding the envelope and i immediately quieted and learning how to quiet myself and learning and to understand, to listen within. We're all in my, in my knowing we are all of one source. We are all, so for me, as I go through different planes here, heaven, somewhere else that I always knew I was somewhere where my feet were very hot and sand. That's all. It's the only other plane that I identified as a child. And well, I didn't understand it then. But so, so I held on to, you mean in a past life, you remembered being somewhere where your feet was. No, I'm there now. I still know I'm there now. I don't know more of it. I've always been there. So, so when I held this, I 
received that and I quieted because now remember this is the first time at this weekend it's like a smorgasbord like this is psychometry this is what tarot means these are angel cards this is mediumship this is the difference between mediumship and psychic this is this is that this is spirit people identify as spirit and soul or um, this is live energy this is energy that is eternal so all of those things it was like this big smart and everything they did so when I held the key all of a sudden I got who lived there who who was re- I saw I saw two people. I knew who they were. I saw two different months. I saw what color the house was, and I didn't understand all of it. And 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 it was amazing to me. But I was like, okay. And we were to write the things down, and I think I wrote fifteen things down, and thirteen of them were spot on. And that's that. So doing that, so going there, that helped me. And this key belonged to another student in the class, right? And you'd never met the student before? Yeah, you, they brought it from home. No, no, you, you don't know. You don't know who's what or where. Does it feel different to you when you're getting the information through an object in psychometry versus when it just comes to you versus when you're doing a reading in person? No, no, it doesn't. And no, it's all energy. It's eternal energy. When I was at, when we were doing, remember we were at the expo with with Rebecca? Rebecca puts on an, an expo, Psychic Medium Expo every summer. And that's where Deb and I first met. Um, so when I pulled into the, um, to the parking garage, the guy that greeted me, his name tag was Dan. That's my husband's name. When somebody lost their keys, they had a Hershey's Park heart shape on them with the name Dan on the back. Like all of these hearts are your sign for Dan, right? Hearts. Yep. But signs, symbols, synchronicity. So, so we were at the other expo and we were in the, in one of her, the the other hotel, not at Mohegan Sun. This, um, oh, I forget her name. She had this book, this astrology book. Do you remember when they gave the astrology book and I took it? No. The ladies, the, I forget her name. She's really sweet. She used to be in Rebecca's center before she closed. But so anyways, so she's a Reiki master. So she's like, oh, does anybody want this book? Her sister said, and I held on to it. And I said, sure, I'll take it. And I was playing with it. And every time I opened it, I opened it up to something significant, a date. Well, I started handing it to somebody and I said, give it a try. And they did it again. And then I started incorporating that as a tool, a modality in readings and explaining energy. So I, there is no difference. It's an amazing, I, I, it's in the back of my car because I had done some private readings. I had done a group reading last week and I am, I'm going somewhere tomorrow. So I'm like, okay, I kept my stuff packed in the car. And I was there when I was walking this morning and I said, Oh, hi, I was talking to this book here. And I just, I said, okay, let's see what kind of day we're going to have today. And I just opened it up and it opened up to October 17th, which is Dan's birthday, which is pretty, it's like the thickness of an old Sears and Robux or telephone book. It's really cool. So, so for me, no, does it always work? I don't think so. But you know, for me, no. But when I touched that envelope, it was like, boom, 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 boom. When I took a tarot class over at Priscilla's, um, I signed up in Melinda. You've met Melinda, right? Yes. Melinda's another friend of Rebecca's who does psychic reading. Okay. So, so these, these people are placed in our path, I believe for a reason. Um, I'll back up how I met Rebecca. Dan had passed away. It was in February or March. 
uh, Brittany said to me, we used to own the childcare center. Brittany said, and she used to get when things would be facts, like the funny bone would fax over things. So people that were turning 21, cause they want to make money could bring five friends for free or 10 friends. Brittany and her husband had always been on that list cause it's a comedy club and it's, there's not a lot around here. And so Brit had gotten Deanne crossed in December. Brittany had gotten a request cause her birthday was in April to, you know, reserve some for April. And she saw there was a medium on there and she said, ma, you want to go to a medium? And I said, yeah, but Cole was only 10 at the time. I said, he can't go. She says, they have to be 18. I said, I have nobody to watch him. She goes, well, the twins can take him and walk around the mall. It's only for an hour. And I said, okay, because they were 17. And I said, okay. So we went, it was under Brittany's name. She had just bought the tickets. I do not look 18. I was 51 at the time. We picked our own seats. We sat down and immediately I felt the energy between Rebecca and I. I'd never met her before. So the place was packed and she came over and she described Dan to a T. She said, there's somebody else here and she's very proud of you. She, and which was opposite of Barbara. And Barbara's Dan's mother who's passed. That's right. She said, she's so proud of you, what you've done with the children. But she explained, she described her and I knew who she was. And then she said, there's a man waiting with a red truck over there, a pickup truck waiting to leave with them. He's waving to you. My father was a firefighter, drove a red truck. She explained Dan to a T and Barbara. There is no way that woman is so, so I'll use the word. I don't know if they want to say gifted, enabled, entrusted. I consider mine to be entrusted. So that's how I met her. Now she was placed in my path for a reason. Then, you know, it extended further and, and um, I had met her but I didn't know of her when I walked past, she had done like a fair at the Bama or something earlier when Dan and I were staying there when we had moved out of state and it was near Brittany's house. So, but I hadn't crossed paths, but these people are meant to be placed in your path for a reason. So I had taken a tarot class with Melinda at Priscilla's and cause it's in town here, it's right up the street. And I remember when I was like, how am I going to study all these cards? And I would pick up the cards and I would know what it meant. My granddaughter at the age of two, the one that saw Dan and communicates with him, she could read tarot in a preschool way. So when I, we did our thing online on, on phone, I think readings, you know, she had set up because I think it was the weather was snowy that night or something. And the people couldn't. What does being able to read tarot in a preschool way mean? Okay. It means that when, um, well, let me explain how I understand tarot. So then I'll explain how I understand her to do it. When you sit down, there's all these these suits and all of this and that. And I'm like, oh my God, I have short-term memory. I'm never going to remember all this. And I remember Melinda patting me going, just give it a whirl. And, you know, and we would, and all of a sudden it made sense to me. And when we did the readings, all I turned it went into a mediumship reading and I went into her gram. I looked at the cards. I never understood, I mean, I understood what the suits were, but I didn't know, like a lot of tarot readers will place it with astrological or, or signs and angels, they, they, they put it together. And I, that's too much for me. And I would, you know, do a, a either a, a cross or I would do a before, um, before present future, I, I would do these little, you know, we learned all these ways to lay the cards out. And so I was reading this woman and it just went into a spot on mediumship and she started crying and I was seeing her grandmother and how she went grocery shopping with her. And I explained where she was born um, next to her grandmother physically and her grandmother was in the delivery room. I mean, it just went on so many things. And I looked at Melinda, she goes, okay. 
And I said, oh my God, did I go too far? And she's like, no, 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 no. And the woman was like, no, thank you so much. I just got back together with my grandmother. We were estranged and that's how we rebuilt our relationship is I would take her grocery shopping. It, so for me, so then Tarot and Dex, Melinda told us, now this gets even further. She told us to wrap them, to bless them, to wrap them, to respect them, to sleep with them. And I thought, sleep with them. All right. So I stuck it under the mattress. You know, I was game for anything. And I had, it was crazy. And I had two of the same deck that I didn't realize I had bought because I have about 10 or 12 decks now. And I had put it in the basket that I keep next to my bed. And I kept having these like vivid visitations. And I realized when I changed the sheets, like three days later that I had left the deck under the bed. And I thought, what is that? That's a modality. That's that's a tool used. So when Dylan was about, she must have been about three, and they'd always want to play with the cards. And I we I teach them to respect them, and you know this is what you do. And so she lifted. She started to lift a card, and she'd look at it, and she would say, "She's so sad. Why is she sad?" Or she'd pick up the one that was um, the death card. And most people get frightened and it means there's many different interpretations. It's for what the cards present for you, for me, as I read them, it could be change. It could be, um, to complete There's many different ways that it'll come about during reading. And she lifted up the death card and she said, Oh my, all done. I mean, for a three-year-old and, and it's just like, yeah, she, but, She's the one who saw, you know, like, so she did that since she was little, but we don't encourage it. We don't, we just, it's very matter of fact and okay. They're, they're very big on the hearts because I, you know, I, I get them all the time. We don't encourage, encourage, encourage and say, oh, how wonderful. Um, Dilly walked into the center with me at Priscilla's. And this is the time, like Brittany honestly said to me, mom, um, okay, maybe we shouldn't take her there again. Because when I walked in and Dylan leaned over and she goes, she talks to so many people. They're all in the hallway. There was nobody in the hallway, just being in there. And I said, yeah, she does. That's all I said, you know, because I had dropped something off and I, or I'd pick something up to do some promotional stuff for her. But so, but I had just run in with her from the car, you know, and brought her in with me. She was like three years old. She, goes, she talks so So I just said, yes, she does. Because I didn't want to say, oh, what do you see? Or. I don't want to do that to them. The little one um, definitely saw. And yeah, they kept waking her up. And Emmy was like, I, I she was scared. And I said, Brit, why are you letting her watch? You know, thinking she's watching some cartoons or something that are scary. And Brittany's not like that. She won't let them watch that. But she said, I don't know, Ma. She was just freaking out in the middle of the night. And they won't leave her alone. And they had melty faces. Like they were all wet. And I said to, I talked to her because they call me Bam and they were in Vegas at the time. And I, her name's Emmy. I said, Emmy, honey, what is the matter? I said, did you have a bad dream? And she's like, no, they wouldn't go away. And she's sassy. And I said, what? She goes, they kept scaring me, Bam. I said, well, you just tell, you wake up and you have a bad dream or anybody, you tell them you need your nine nights. So the next night she wakes up and Britt, the kids, she would sleep in bed with, um, with their parents. And so so Brittany woke up like in a panic and she couldn't find her. And she saw her sleeping on the couch and, and she's little, like this one's little, just barely three, this age too, the younger one. And so Brittany said, no, she was sound asleep. She woke up, we had breakfast and 
she called me the next morning and I said, I would talk to him all the time. I said, hi, darling, how are you? And she said, oh. she goes, I told them I was tired and they can't play in my house anymore. And they left. I said, oh, I flew out there the next week. We're at the beach at Santa Monica Pier. And uh, so we're doing something. I'm taking pictures of the kids, but it was COVID time. And they were um, at the beach. And when I looked in my iPhone, you can see different silhouettes. And, and so I was, you know, in the, in the car, Steve was driving and Emmy was, I was sitting between the girls in their um, car seats and it was really funny. She goes, see, they play with me all the time. I just looked at Brittany. I didn't say anything. Not cute, but they're, but they're unfiltered. They're just little, they're little. And, and I, I, I know they're accurate. When I say generationally, I know my grandmother, my grandmother. So when my mother had a flatline heart attack, in the hallway, I saw a dime. Under my mother's intensive care bed, there was a dime. After and I find dimes all over the place. But after my husband passed suddenly, I went in to get his insulin. He was a diabetic. Out of the refrigerator, and I opened the CVS bag, and two dimes fell out. You know how they staple your prescription. But to have those there, I a man fell at the gym a couple of weeks ago. He had Parkinson's. He got out of the uh, jacuzzi, and after I swim, I get out of the jacuzzi to soak my mouth. I get in the jacuzzi and he, you could tell, you know, like sometimes when they're just really shaking both their, you know, their limbs and they're having a hard time, but he had gotten out to try to use one of the bathrooms, which is a shower bathroom. And he didn't get the door shut. So I jumped out of the jacuzzi and not looking. I said, sir, do you want me to shut that? And he said, please, I shut the door. I got back to the jacuzzi. I heard a kaboom and I got a man out of the pool. Cause I figured he might be undressed, you know, trying to go to the bathroom. So the man was bleeding all over the place. He helped him. I run upstairs. I get the attendant because there's no security downstairs at the pool. Afterwards, they say, could you please fill out an accident report? And I was like, yep. I go up to this table and I go to fill it out and there's a penny. I turn it over and it's 2015. That's the year Dan passed. That's how very simple, you know, if you settle yourself and you know. So all of this unfolding that's the unfolding part, the understanding. And then I went to mediumship certification classes with Priscilla and then, you know, being in the presence of, and it just, it's just opened up. And then I would volunteer and another psychic lesson. Um, I volunteered. I won't give her name. I didn't know. Cause it's again, all these wonderful people presenting to me and spirit providing for me. And um, it's comforting to me, but it's also lifting me to my purpose. My purpose is to be present, to to lift someone to whatever they grasp as their own understanding. That's that's why I'm here. It's not to persuade, to influence, to do any of that. It's to be present for. So I do I do volunteer work. That's how I started. So the difference between the psychic, I started to volunteer. Somebody referred me to another person on a site. So you do online readings for practice and this and that. So this woman saw me reading and I, and she's pretty big and she's connected out of the country. So anyhow, so she, she had reached out and she asked people to meditate and a friend of hers daughter was missing. I meditated. I didn't get anything. I communicated back private messenger. I didn't get anything a week later. You know, I was thinking about her. She had reached out again, you know, saying there wasn't an update. And so I meditated again and I saw, I saw a street sign. I saw the, the young girl. I saw a couple other people. I saw this, I saw that, I saw that. So I texted her back and I told her what I had gotten. 
And I just said, I, you know, this is what I meditated a second time. And this is what, this is what came through. She got back to me. The family is so grateful. They found her alive. I knew she was alive. I was the only one that had her alive. I don't know how many people she reached out to, but I had had the young girl alive. I knew where she was. The street sign was really the park in Paris where she was located. That was a big wowsy. And to me, I was so grateful that a child, because I have had trauma with one of my kids, I was so grateful a child was safe. And I heard, that's not the lesson. The lesson for me, humanly, yes, I was so grateful. The lesson for me was to understand psychic energy that is live energy here on this plane versus there. Much different. How does it feel different? How does it feel different? When I, when I sit down for a reading. This is when you're reading a person psychically who has not passed away. Correct. It feels different. I can see auras. I can see, I can feel around the person. I'll ask permission to blend. That to me, because I don't want to humanly think ever, that to me is where I settle in. I'll ask permission and I'll feel in it, like I feel a physical exchange. I can feel the energy different. And, and when I do a reading, I'm blending and I'm being available for energy to come through. It's a different feeling for me. And so that's the only way I can explain how it feels different for me. So in other words, I'm in it with the person. And when I'm a conduit, I'm not in it. I'm the connector between the two. And the conduit means being a medium reading someone who's passed? Yes. And it will, it'll start to blend. And when I go to do a mediumship reading, I ask permission to blend energy with the sitter, the person that's coming for the reading. I also will feel a vibrational level. And I'll, it's, it's a, I sink down, like, mm, I feel like a sinking level, like a settling. And I say prayers of gratitude before I, I do it in the highest and best. I don't, I don't predict, I don't, another, one other way that I didn't understand, and I have to be very careful with this one. I was referred to go to a reading after Dan passed away and, but I didn't get there that first year as my pediatrician secretary. The next year, uh, the pediatrician said to me, oh, did you, the secretary said, oh, did you go? And I said, no, I, I didn't get her number and I don't know why. So I got the number. As soon as the woman gave me the number, I went home and I I sat there and I went to, I placed a call to do a reading. I went in, I mean, I, I placed the call. We were playing telephone tag. And every time I heard the woman's voice on the phone, on the, on the answering machine, I, it something felt like, 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 um, like, like warm, but tight. And so, so then when I was talking to her, I started to see visions and she had said something to me. I said something to her. I said, well, truthfully, because she was asking me if I understood if I ever been read. And I said, well, being, you know, I want to be really honest. Yes. And I do get signs and messages and I don't do this for a living. But um, she said to me, do you have something for me? This is on the phone. I've never met this woman. I described what she looked like, what she was wearing. I then saw her with a younger boy. I gave a month. I gave a date. I didn't see the child growing. Her nephew had crossed at that age in that month. She was supposed to go pick, I think she said strawberries, but it had changed to blueberries. I saw her carrying a basket of blueberries. 
And then I had said something else and she said something, oh, well, I'm sorry, I had to call you from the car. I just spoke to my son's oncologist and I just knew. Well, we were just making the appointment for, but her nephew came through that had passed of cancer. I saw something else. I did not repeat it to her. And I knew, and this woman's son passed away the following year. So for me, that was, I just knew. And even though I hadn't, it was too early. I hadn't gone to those classes and learned like boundaries and ethics and grounding. And, and I just knew as a mom not to say something, do you know? And when I went to go, I went to go to the reading for her, I had gone. And when she had said oncologist and her kids were my, her son was my twins age. And I was getting coal as camp stuff. And I bought a blanket and I bought her a gift. And I, I just felt like this uh, to nurture her. And we're still friends to this day. That was such a trust. It was a trust, not from her, but from spirit and God to me, as I understood it. And it was hopefully a comfort for to, her, to her. We have never spoken of knowing either of us. And I there would be no reason. And I look back and that is was such a humongous ethical importance and trust and understanding for me as I go forward. The biggest ethic is to never, of course, not intentionally, but never even unintentionally cause harm. And, and that, yeah, I knew, I saw that her son was very ill and that he wasn't going to continue, but I didn't trust that. And I'm thinking, why am I thinking that the same thing as the dentist member years ago? So it, this, this, I look at it as a trust. I look at it as I'm supposed to step forward and do my best for everyone. And also it's true to myself. It's honoring spirit. It's honoring God. And it ascends my soul higher to its purpose. Why do people understand and see and why people don't? It's just not in their journey ascension yet. We are surrounded by eternal energy, life, source, God, the heavens. And there's a purpose for all of this. And I think that this will be a blink when we look back. I think when you and I are are up there and you're meeting my husband in, in, in that, you know, whatever, like when we shed our humanness, that's another whole podcast. We're all going to know. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two year battle with glioblastoma, Jet, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son, Oliver Justice, and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. Jet seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. JET will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash JET for a complete list of programs and activities. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. 
If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife, and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Mike asks... So I saw on Instagram that you said you bent a spoon. Did you? What was that like? Yes, I did. It was really kind of this amazing, bizarre experience. It was pretty early in my research when I kind of thought none of this was possible. And one interesting aspect about it was that the night before... I went to the event where I bent a spoon. I had been reading all of my materials for Lloyd Arbach's class on psychic abilities at the Rhine. And one of the things I'd read about was spoon bending, which I'd always assumed was nonsense. But here's Lloyd Arbach. He's a parapsychologist. I have talked about him in other episodes and I've interviewed him in other podcast episodes as well. And I had this thought of, okay, if spoon bending actually was real and I experienced it, I would believe all this. I mean, of course, it ended up not being that simple, but it was another bit of evidence. So I noted to myself to find a place where I could do spoon bending and so the next day, I already had plans to go to one of the mediums, Laura Lynn Jackson, who is certified by Forever Family in Winbridge, to go to one of her workshops. And I barely knew her at this point. And suddenly in the middle of her workshop, she said, we're going to be doing spoon bending. I was like, okay, that's kind of coincidental and kind of interesting. I'll consider 
the fact that I was just thinking about that last night. And so she passed out all these spoons and I was with my friend and he's like pretty large, physically strong guy. He's a lot stronger than me. And we got our spoons and I remember I tried to bend it normally with my hands. He tried to bend his people around the group, you know, none of them bending. And then Laura said to take a deep breath, focus, and everyone say bend. And I looked over, you know, I kind of tried to bend mine and nothing happened again. And I looked over and I saw a few people's spoons, like normal metal spoons, just getting balled up and rolled with their hands. And I was like, what the fuck? I was shocked. I suddenly felt my spoon in my hand get really, really hot. Not where it burned, where not where it hurt, I should say, but it was incredibly hot. And then it just felt like really like a very soft material. And I just bent the head of it over with no effort. And then suddenly it cooled off and felt like a completely normal spoon again. And the reason I'd also mentioned my friend who's physically much stronger than me, he was unable to bend his spoon. So I just, that was really weird. And in Lloyd Arbach's book, one of his books, Mind Over Matter, he said that people who had bent spoons with their mind or metal, you know, I don't know if they only used spoons, but they took spoons that people had bent with energy, mind, and then they took metal that they got very strong, like weightlifter people to bend metal objects. And they sent these metal objects to a metallurgist. One's both bent by strength and one's bent by energy. And the metallurgist, you know, used whatever equipment it was to examine them. And apparently the grain boundaries of the metals showed up differently in those that bent the metals with their energy versus their strength. The ones with the strength grain boundaries were ripped and broken exactly expected in a bent metal. In the ones bent with energy, they looked like they were elongated and stretched over and they had not broken. So that was my experience with spoon bending. There's kind of a part two, which I'll answer in another episode. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Thank you so much for coming on and for your time. This was such a fun conversation. Thank you for having me. Do you want to let the listeners know where they can find you? Sure. I don't have a website yet, but they can find me at my email and I do not offer, I've been bombarded. I can't offer free readings. I can offer, you know, if somebody has a question, I don't mind answering a question for something. I do do a free workshop in Glastonbury, Connecticut. It'll be under Glastonbury Friends and Neighbor Facebook page. End of each class, I'll do, I'll, you know, do a little platform mediumship, meaning walking around and giving messages, you know, small messages. So my email is one long word. It's affirmationswhearts at gmail.com. I have a psychic medium widow slash widowers Facebook page. 
And, and it's just, anybody's more than welcome. I do private. I only do, I won't reread within six months of a reading. I never want to humanly be in the presence, you know, like be there. And I don't want to recall a thing. If you reach out for a reading, just give me your first name. Don't tell me one thing. Um, so if you reach out, you just send, I'm interested in a reading. I'll send you three dates, three times. I only do up to two to three readings a day, three times a week. I do do private. I do in-home parties. I do events. And you can make a fake email just for this. Just Definitely. Call me. Call me on a, a burner phone. I don't care. I do Zoom. I'll do FaceTime. I'll come. I'm, I'm you know, COVID safe. I have two boosters. I will be masked if we're indoors. There's no deposit given. People pay me when it's done. And I don't want to know anything about anybody. Nothing. Zip boom. All right. Thank you to your listeners so very much and take care. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and evidence of an afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. <laughs>